Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Jesus Christ, I don't, I don't know what else we can declare but that. You are worthy of all praise, all that we can give and so much more. You are worthy of all honor. You are worthy of all majesty. Lord, your name is power. Your name is victory. Your name is freedom. Your name is salvation. Your name is forgiveness. Your name is peace. And you are the king. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. What you say goes. Find a body that is ready to humble itself under your word. And not kick back on it in pride, but say, God, change me. You have a word for me today. You have a word for my struggle. You have a word for my marriage. You have a word for my family. You have a word. Help me to hear and be attentive to your word today. Holy Spirit, say what you want to say. Jesus Christ, get all the glory, honor, praise, and majesty. Guard my mouth from error and be magnified through it all in my weakness. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we praise the Lord. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, our ushers are coming forward right now to hand you a copy. Just put up your hand, and we want to put a Bible in front of you so you can continue to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5, and it's on page 555 in those Bibles that are being handed out. And just a quick recap of where we are today. We're currently in the middle of our series called Discovering Hope. Discovering Hope, the portrait of a church that is alive and walking in Christ. It's a portrait of the church that Jesus says, I will bless these things when I see them and have promised to build my church on them and through them. And so we've looked at, first off, we start out with the mission, the great commission to make disciples. And then we moved on to the motive for that mission, our love for God increasingly and our love for one another. And then last week we began looking at the method. We looked at the mission, we looked at the motive, now we look at the method. The six distinctives, you're going to see up here on these banners, the six distinctives that Jesus says and promises he will bless and build his church through. And the first one Pastor Eric unpacked for us last week was fervent prayer. Why is that so important to start? Because Jesus says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And then today we're going to look at our second distinct of bold preaching. 
bold preaching. And here's the truth, the big idea for today that we have to lock in. It's going to set the tone. You'll see it on the screen. The church that is alive in Christ will preach the gospel boldly through Christ. Every word in that definition is significant. The church that is alive in Christ will preach the gospel boldly through Christ. Now, some of you may have some ideas about what boldness is. Boldness just means when we see it biblically, two words, courageous clarity. Courageous clarity. It doesn't mean you got to get red in the face and spit people in the front row. It's just courageous clarity. And you may be sitting there saying this, well, this message doesn't apply to me. I'm not a preacher. I, can I just tune out for the next 40? I'll get a tight 40 here. Listen, no. Here's why this is absolutely crucial for everyone. Because if you're saved in Christ, you are a disciple of Christ. And as a disciple, you are called to proclaim Christ. Your pulpit might not be the front of a church on Sunday morning. But your pulpit might be your classroom at school. Your pulpit might be when you're cutting your grass and your neighbor comes by and they're struggling. Your pulpit might be your workplace. Your pulpit might be your lunchroom. Your pulpit might be your dinner table with your spouse or your family. And you say, well, I'm not a follower of Christ, so I guess it doesn't apply to me. Uh, wrong. Because if you're not saved in Christ... This message is crucial because here's why. I'm just going to lay it out for you, loved one. Your only chance at salvation in Christ, hear this, your only chance at salvation in Christ is to hear and to respond to the gospel being preached boldly. As you will hear it today. But there's a problem here that we see plaguing the church today. Those of us who are saved in Jesus Christ, we are not often bold in preaching the gospel. Why is that? Well, ultimately, it comes down to this. Because we depend on more on ourselves and other things than depending on the Lord. You say, what do you mean by that? Here, let me help you out. Do any of these sound familiar? Well, I'm not, I can't share the gospel because what will people think of me? I can't share the gospel because what if, I, what if I don't know the right words? I can't share the gospel because I have to be the one to convince you. And then if I don't have the right words and I say the wrong thing, I'm just going to turn you off even more. How about this? I have to be the one to change that person, to get them to respond. Or we start to think self-reliance. I must use this gimmick or this strategy. We see this across the church all over the place today. This gimmick or this strategy, gospel gimmicks, to bring, to convince, to manufacture one's response to Christ. Or this, well, I don't know enough of the Bible. What if they ask a question and I, I don't know the answer? The results are up to me. And you know what the root is underlying all of these loved ones? Pride. Pride. All of it. And the result is this, self-reliance replaces Christ-reliance. Self-reliance in bold preaching replaces Christ. 
reliance. And we have to understand this. Self-reliance, loved ones, will never lead you and I to greater boldness in Christ. It won't do it. Why? Because here's what we're saying. The power of the gospel isn't enough. The power must come from me. That's where self-reliance takes you. The power of the gospel isn't enough. The power has to come from me to convince this person, to change this person. But here, we have to understand, loved ones, there are people enslaved to sin and dying every day, going to hell, never having heard the gospel because of our addiction to self-reliance. And so here in our text today, we're going to see two truths that we must embrace. If we are going to be a church, if we're going to be individual believers that preach the gospel boldly through Christ and see him display his power and his glory through it. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read our text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Proclaiming Christ crucified. And I, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hear the word of the Lord, church. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here in the opening part of this text in the first two verses is this. To preach God's word boldly, first truth, you must depend on one message, Christ crucified. You must depend on one message, Christ crucified. And the question that we are confronted with from these first two verses is this. The gospel is the foundation of bold preaching. Am I simply proclaiming it? The gospel is the foundation for bold preaching. Am I simply proclaiming it? Let's get some context here. It's 53 to 55 AD, so first century. And Paul's in Ephesus and he's writing to the church in Corinth. And so you're going to see a picture. Here's Corinth. You see it circled there. It's in southern Greece, and it's a church that Paul planted on his second missionary journey. Now, you have to understand about Corinth. This is why context is key when you interpret Scripture. Here's what we have to understand. Corinth was a key crossroads for sea traffic, and it was a trade city. You can see right there, key crossroads. It's a trade city where many cultures and religions are mingling together. And what we have to understand from this is that Corinth was a destination for traveling professional orators. It was a destination. These are speech givers. Traveling professionals. And these guys charged a fee for attendance so people could look at their rhetorical displays and taught people how to advance socially. You say, what do you mean advanced socially? Because in the Greco-Roman culture, which Corinth was steeped in, you achieved influence by speaking with rhetorical finesse and eloquence. You could be as smooth as you want and get ahead. But the danger is this. 
This worldly mindset had crept into the church and was creating divisions and factions and competitions over who had, quote unquote, excellence of speech. We see an example of this in the factions where we just look back to chapter 1, verse 12, where some people are like, well, I follow Paul. And others are like, well, I follow Cephas. I like his preaching better. No, I follow Apollos. He's my guy. He's way more fluent than Paul is. It's creating divisions in the church. And the Corinthian church had begun to depend on the abilities of themselves and their pastors to ultimately bring people to Christ. Depending on themselves and their pastors. They start boasting in themselves. And so here Paul is writing this letter of correction calling on them to reject self-reliance and self-sufficiency and set their lives, set their hope on the gospel and not in various preachers and themselves that they were taking pride in to convince or persuade people. Paul's saying this, it's time to get back to Christ. Is that a good word for our church today? It's time to get back to Christ And so you can see this in verse 31. This is why he said, just 131, go up a little bit. He says, let the one who boasts, not boast in yourself, not boast in your abilities. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. And this is why he goes on to say in verse 1, he says this, and I, when I came to you, brothers, and that means brothers and sisters, he's writing to the church, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. See, he came that when he preached the gospel to the Corinthians and he established the church there, loved ones, he didn't preach with lofty speech or what would be considered human wisdom. Now, the terms there for lofty speech and wisdom mean this in the Greek, high sounding words with eloquent superiority based on his human skill, his wisdom, and his intellect. He's like, I'm not coming to you with those. I'm going against the culture here. And why is he doing this? Look at verse 2. He tells us. Why? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, Paul had decided. The word decided there means resolved. I'm absolute conviction on this. I'm resolved to focus on and to teach nothing else except the simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. To declare it clearly and simply with courageous clarity. What's he declaring? It's called the gospel. The gospel. So just live in the text for a moment. Paul says this. Let's break it to today's language. I'm going back to the basics. I'm going back to the basics. I'm not going to depend on any of what you think is necessary in terms of a a new message. More souped up message to be quote unquote more relevant in culture today. I'm going back to the basics. I'm not going to depend on the eloquence you think I need to give it. And I'm not going to depend on my persuasive ability to bring it to you. I'm not out to be your celebrity pastor. Get the most retweets, the most Facebook likes, the most Instagram likes. I'm not there. 
See, here's why. Because none of that can change or persuade or save anyone. Why? Because men cannot come, we have to understand this church, men cannot come to God by human wisdom or ability. It's impossible. Men cannot come to God by human wisdom or ability. So Paul says, I'm going to depend on the one message, the only message that can save. The simple message of the cross. And the only way to salvation is to repent of your sin and confess Christ as Lord and Savior, believing that he's the Son of God and humbled himself and was sent to earth by his father and lived a perfect life as fully God and fully man, never sinned once, and was crucified on the cross for your sin and mine, every sin, past, present, and future. And he paid the penalty of our sin on that cross, the full wrath of God, died, was buried, and three days later rose again, defeating sin and death for all time. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess him and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the simple gospel. And Paul says, keep, just keep all your human wisdom. Keep your lofty words. Keep your lofty messages. I'm just going to get to the gospel. I'm going to declare it boldly and let the chips fall where they may. Because it's the one message Christ has given his church to proclaim. I'm going to declare it and let them fall. The pressure's off. I love this. It's so similar. The pressure is off. I don't have to come up with anything new or fancier. Christ didn't make a mistake on the message. He's not like, oh man, I didn't think about the 21st century. No, no, no. He didn't change it. He didn't make a mistake. He doesn't change and neither does his message of salvation. But we look around today, right? We see increasing reliance in both individuals and whole churches on human Wisdom, man-made strategies, gospel gimmicks, human abilities to try and attract people, to try to persuade people to come to Christ. They manufacture, they manipulate things. Manipulating man's response to give them the false security of salvation. And they cease to depend on the simple, faithful preaching of the gospel and begin to depend on themselves. And what's the result? Don't take my word for it. Go back to the text. The result, as you see in 1 Corinthians 1.17, skip up a few verses, Paul says this, the cross is emptied of its power through eloquence of speech, by you trying to be fancy, by me trying to be fancy. It empties the cross of its power. And this is why I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for our fellowship of churches and the Great Commission Collective. This is what we are committed to. Simple, bold, clear, urgent gospel proclamation. And I give you my word, church, as your senior pastor and one of your elders. I give you my word. That you will hear every Sunday the simple gospel proclaimed with clarity, with simplicity, and with urgency. 
And both you and the people you bring, you will hear it. Because here's the reality. Why? Let's just take the gospel out and start relying on ourselves for a sec. If you're not preaching the gospel, there's nothing else to preach. You say, what do you mean by that? Because if you're not preaching the gospel, loved ones, you're not getting to Christ. Just because you mention the name Jesus doesn't mean you get to Christ. And if you're not getting to Christ, then you're not actually faithfully preaching the Bible. Why? Because every part of it points to him and is fulfilled in him, as Jesus says in Luke 24. And so what's the result if we don't preach the simple message of the gospel? I can give you a humanistic, moralistic message and say, here's five points so you could be a good or better person. But what we have to understand, loved ones, is every time we open God's word, we are not confronted with the question of, are you a good person? We are confronted with two questions. Are you a saved person? And if you are a saved person, are you being sanctified as a person increasingly in Jesus Christ? And the reality is there's only one message that confronts those and can fulfill them, and that is the message of the gospel. This is why if we're not preaching the gospel, we're not faithfully preaching the Bible. If you hear a message and there's no gospel in it, then you make sure you come and tell me. In small groups, this is why we're committed that the questions, I put the small group questions together with our worship director and small group director Josh yesterday. All of the small group questions we're going to be doing are focused on drilling down the application of the gospel into each area of our lives. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time in small group. And why are we so committed? Here's why. Because the gospel is the foundation of bold preaching. There's only one message that can change a life. So question, are you simply proclaiming it? Are you simply proclaiming it to non-believers? You say, well, what does that mean? Salvation in Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Let the word of God out of the cage and it'll fend for itself. There's no other name by which we must be saved. Are you proclaiming that to your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors? Are you getting to Jesus with them? Or that self-reliance start to creep in which leads to the fear of man? See, here's the other thing that the beauty of the simple message of the gospel does. It allows us to keep it simple. Keep it simple. Here's why. People shouldn't need a seminary degree to understand how to be saved in Jesus. It's a simple declaration to know, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son for you, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You let it out of the cage and let the Holy Spirit take care of it. Stop trying to be fancy. And for believers... Are we preaching the gospel to ourselves? Because here's what we have to understand. The gospel is not just for salvation. Do you understand that? A lot of us think, oh, the gospel. Well, now what do I do when I'm saved? The gospel isn't just for salvation. The gospel is the power for sanctification. It's the power that drives us to be more like Christ. And this is why we must be, quote, unquote, gospelizing or preaching the gospel to ourselves, to our brothers and sisters 
over all parts of your life? How does the gospel empower your marriage to get through that struggle? How do I apply the gospel against my struggle with worry or fear or anxiety? How do I apply the gospel when I'm suffering physically or emotionally? How do I apply the gospel when I'm struggling with this addiction? This is why small groups, and I'm also gonna say service teams, are so good for this. It's just gospelizing. When I was sitting with a couple this week and I was saying, so how's things in the church? And they're just saying, I just love being able to serve. I said, why? She says, well, because it's not just the task we're focused on. Yeah, we give the glory to God, but the community that's there, we're praying for each other, praying over the kids, doing life together. You're gospelizing. Yes. That's why we're meant to do it in community, loved ones. Because here's what we must understand. You'll see it on the screen. True preaching that God blesses will simply herald the true gospel. We don't come up with the message. We just proclaim it. We don't come up with the message. Try to make it fancier for less attention spans and 21st century. We just proclaim it. Because that's what God says he's going to bless We don't have to stray from it. We don't have to try to use more souped up messages from the world to enhance it. Why? You'll see it right underneath that. The message of God is enough to accomplish the work of God. The message of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to accomplish the work of God. So question, but the question here is this. Will you depend And will you believe in Christ that it is powerful enough to do what he says it will do when it is faithfully proclaimed? Will you believe him? And will you step out in faith? Because to preach God's word boldly, you must depend on one message, Christ crucified. And with this, our last point today is this, with this, You must depend on one power, Christ magnified. We must depend on one message, Christ crucified, and you must depend on one power, Christ magnified. Let's read verses three to five. It says this, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the question we're confronted with from these last three verses today, loved ones, is this. Only Christ's power can change a heart. Who am I depending on? Only Christ's power can change a heart. Who am I depending on? See, after describing the content of his message the simple gospel, Paul now moves on to the delivery of the message, moving from the what of the message now to the how. And he comes back to the same theme that he's been hammering in verses one and two. You think Paul wants him to get this? Think he wants us to get it? Yeah. Hammering in verse one and two, the only thing that can produce saving and sanctifying faith in one's heart is not the wisdom and skills of a human preacher, but God's power alone that will magnify Christ alone. When God's power is working, it will always magnify Christ and not the instrument. Let me say it again. When God's power is at work through the preaching of his word, it will always magnify Christ and not the preacher. 
And we need to be clear, God's power is at work as you preach when you are not being magnified and Christ is. And the simple truth we must have crystal clear in our hearts and on our minds is this. God will not give his power to support your pride. Or mine. He will never give his power to support your pride or mine. We need to depend on one power, loved ones. And so you say, well, wait, so how, how is Christ magnified through our preaching then? If I want to see Christ magnified, if I want to preach in the power of God, what does this mean for me practically? Well, we see three things right out of the text. Let's pull them out. Three things. If Christ is magnified, for Christ to be magnified in my preaching, I must preach in my weakness, realizing I'm inadequate. I am inadequate. Look at verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. The word weakness there, I was so blessed by this this week. The word weakness means frailty, timid. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, by the way. Let me just remind you. Timid. Feeling inadequate. Feeling insecure. Paul's not feeling that he had the strength or capacity to preach the gospel faithfully. Paul declares that he felt insecure. I feel inadequate to do what Christ asked him to do. And on top of that, he was fearful and trembling at the seriousness of the mission. Life and death are literally hanging in a balance here. He's trembling at the seriousness of the mission, and he distrusted rightly in his own ability to fulfill it. Hey, does that encourage any of you today as it did me this week? This is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles who ever lived, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's feeling insecure to preach the gospel to those around him. That, that encourages me so much. It encourages me so much in this. See, the truth was Paul's own weakness. Notice this? Paul's own weakness demonstrated that the message was of divine, not human origin. It was the power of God. Because people were being saved and sanctified by its power in spite of Paul's inability. It's of the power of God. It's not based on human ability. People are getting saved and Paul's just sitting there like, really? You got saved? Praise the Lord. It's of divine origin. Let's not make it of human origin. The power was in the message, not the messenger. The power is always in the message, not the messenger. And secondly, we see this, and that leads right into this. So Christ is magnified when I preach in my weakness, recognizing I'm inadequate. But number two is when I preach in his power, knowing that he is sufficient. He is sufficient. Look at verse four. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, again, Paul repeats that his preaching of the gospel was not done in plausible. The Greek word for plausible there means persuasive or catchy. Words of human wisdom. I'm not going for retweets here. It was not based on these unattractive, 
ways that God looks at preaching. But these unattractive words that Paul was using, just the simple words, being made available, ready to proclaim the gospel when God puts someone in front of him just to speak the truth, the simple message of the gospel. This demonstrated, that means gave convincing proof that these words were of the Holy Spirit and of the power of God. Let that comfort you and encourage you today. And you say, what we see so clearly here, Paul's dependency was on the power of God alone, exactly where it needs to be. Because here's the truth. Look at this truth coming up on the screen. The power never lied in Paul's persuasion, but in the spirit of God through him. The power never lied in Paul's persuasion, but in the spirit of God through him. Paul's dependency is on the power of God alone exactly where it needs to be. Exactly. Why? Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You'll see it right here. Go ahead. But he said to me, this is Jesus, Paul writing about Christ speaking to him. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul's like, get this thorn out of here. I plead with you three times. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness, not in your strength, not in you trying to be eloquent. My power is made in your weakness, perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, all the more gladly of myself. Anyone paying attention right there? Yeah, you catch that? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. When's the last time you boasted in your weaknesses? Give it a shot. So that the power of Christ may what? Rest on me, may rest on me, may fill me, may use me. And loved ones, I gotta say this, maybe you're sitting there and you're just kinda like, you're just kinda like, I, I'm, I'm so afraid I'm gonna go into the classroom tomorrow. I'm gonna go into my neighborhood tomorrow. I'm gonna be with my family tomorrow. They're not saved. I'm gonna, Thanksgiving's coming up and what do I do? And hey, can I just encourage you with something? I'm right there with you. I don't want you to look at me. God, Paul, Paul would not want this. God does not want this. I don't want you to look at me and be like, okay, Pastor Ray's got it all figured out. He doesn't struggle with the inadequacy. He doesn't struggle with the insecurity about is he being faithful. Listen, I am right there with you, loved ones. Right there with you. There, you know the struggle this is as I pray and prepare 30 plus hours a week to give you this message. Begging God to do something because here's the reality I'm confronted with and we need to be confronted with. There's nothing I can say right now of my own ability to change you at all. To make you respond to the message of God's word. To make you humble yourself under it. There's nothing I can say. Nothing. Nothing I can say that will bring people to baptism on the 27th. Nothing I can say. It's impossible. And that's a tension I deal with every week and live under that. Will it make a difference? Will God be faithful again? But at the same time, loved ones, as much as it is attention, you know what it also does? It takes the pressure off. It's not to me to convince you. You walk out of here and you're like, no, I'm not doing that. Well, that's between you and God, bro. You're gonna take that up with him. He's gonna do business with you. It's not my job. It takes the pressure off. I am not taking on the responsibility for your salvation. I am not taking on the responsibility for your sanctification. That responsibility lies with the power of God alone. I'm just the instrument, and so are you. And so are you. 
And this frees me up and should free you up to be bold and clear and faithful as you just simply proclaim the simple message and leave the rest up to God. And that anything that happens that here today, anything that happens in the life of this church, what God is doing to build this church, <laughs> happens as a response and a result of the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power in those who choose to humble themselves before Christ and receive the word. You say, well, wait a second, I want to depend on Christ's power. How do I do that? How does Christ grow his power in me? How do I live in the weakness that I don't have this? Well, how do I live in sufficiency? Here we go, three ways we see all throughout scripture. Number one, we're just gonna go through these quick. How do I depend on Christ's power? Through his word, I humbly approach him. Consistently, daily, I humbly approach him every day to say, God, you need to fill me. I need your wisdom, I need your faith, I need your boldness. Every time we leave the Bible closed on our bedside or under our bed, what we're saying, whether we will say this verbally or not, is God, I don't need you today. I don't need your wisdom. I'll just rush off to my activity. I got this. I don't need your sanctifying power in my life. I don't need your strength. Every time, that's what we're saying. So there's approaching him humbly through his word, consistently, daily, abiding with him. Number two, we see that we humbly confess to him through prayer. When we recognize the sufficiency of God, we approach him and take his word as our authority, that it's our lifeline, and then we humbly confess to him in prayer, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm going to run in fear every time. I need your help. And as he exposes sin, we repent of that, and we confess our need for him in your life and in the life of another that you're going to preach the gospel to. We need him. Prayer is a declaration of our dependency on God. Prayerlessness is a declaration of our independence. I got this, God. And then, thirdly, we see this through his word. We humbly approach him. We're dependent on Christ through prayer. We humbly confess. And then thirdly, look, obedience. We humbly step out for him in humility. Step out into the opportunities he's giving He's giving to boldly, simply, and clearly declare the gospel. If you're one, you're like, well, I don't think there's anyone there. Oh, they're there. The question is, are you going to ask God? And then when you ask him, are you going to ask him for the strength to step into them? They're right there. He wants to draw people to himself. And then lastly, how do we stay dependent on Christ? Repeat. Just repeat. Just keep going. Do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Every day. Just repeat. See, because here, let me encourage you with something, loved ones. God is not looking for help. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord for that. He's not looking for help. He's looking for those who call for help. That's who he's going to show his power through. Always. Not a, man, God, I'm going to tag team with you today. It's like, God, I've got to cling to you today. So question, how about you? How about you? in your marriages right now, in your families, with your classmates, in your workplaces, here in this church and exhorting your brothers and sisters or in your neighborhoods. Hey, loved ones, are you trying to depend on your own strength to change people with the gospel? That needs to stop. That's pride. Confess it for what it is. Repent and say, Lord, 
give me a greater dependence on you today? Or are you joyfully recognizing, confessing your weakness and Christ's utter sufficiency so you can declare the truth with loving, clear boldness in knowing the power doesn't come from you and the outcome is dependent on God alone. And you might say, well, I still feel, feel fearful. I just, I, I, I think of that person tomorrow in my class and I think of my roommate and I think of my spouse. I just, I feel fearful about stepping out. Hey, can I just encourage you with this truth that came to me this week and put it on the screen? You may feel like you lack eloquence, but in Christ you will never lack power. You may feel like you lack the eloquence, the rhetorical smoothness, but in Christ and our dependencies on him, you will never lack power. The focus is on Christ's power, not our polish, okay? It's on Christ's power not our polish. And lastly, we see this. Christ magnified, preaching in my weakness, recognizing I'm inadequate, preaching in his power, he's sufficient. Thirdly, preaching for his glory, salvation in Christ alone. Look at verse five. Why does Paul do this? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul finishes by stating why his dependency was on the message and power of Christ alone. Why? So that the, Corinth, the faith of the Corinthian believers would not rest. The term there means be based on or be determined by the wisdom that is the ability of man, but would be based on the power of God. God alone, Christ magnified. When they see the awesomeness of the Savior, when they see the glory of Christ, when they see the power of Christ in and through you and me, the wisdom of man would not produce and cannot produce genuine saving faith. Question, last one for today. Only Christ's power can change a heart. What are you or who are you depending on? Paul understood what we must today. Intellectual persuasion, our abilities, gospel gimmicks, tampered gospel messages for itching ears do not save people. Only the saving power of Jesus Christ does as the gospel is preached boldly through dependence on one message, Christ crucified. And by dependence on one power, Christ magnified. We are called to preach Christ, church, by the power of Christ and by God's grace. As long as he gives us to do that, that's what we are committed to do. That's the only message that saves. That's the only message that sanctifies. And why is this so crucial? Christ calls us to, we'll leave with this passage, Romans 10, 14 to 70. I'll leave us with this challenge. How then, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you have made it so clear that we cannot faithfully preach 
your word, your gospel, without depending on that message and your power in us to proclaim it. I pray right now, it would be such a release of pride all over this place, a release of fear that comes with that, and anxiety and worry and self-reliance. God, as a church, if there's anywhere we're relying on self, then show us. Oh, Lord, keep us Christ-reliant. Though we may lack the eloquence, in Christ we will not lack the power. I pray this would be so encouraging for those going into hostile workplaces tomorrow, maybe even in their own families, parents to their children, spouses to each other, preaching the gospel to one another to see us grow up in him together in love, in grace, in truth, but boldness with that courageous clarity. And as we respond today, Father, may this be a loud declaration that Jesus, only Jesus, will be proclaimed. Jesus, only Jesus, will we depend on this time now and until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.